We're going to go back 124 years to the um, June 20th, 1900. There was a Boxer Rebellion going on in China. You might wonder what was the Boxer um, uh, Rebellion. Well, <clears throat> um, it was about um, the peasant uprising, and they specifically targeted Christians. 188 foreign missionaries and more than 32,000 faithful Chinese believers were butchered simply because they were followers of Christ during this Boxer Rebellion. And during that time, there was a Christian school and a mob of these boxers went into the school by force and they had the student body line up in the auditorium and they said, we're going to put a cross on the ground in the front door and you're going to have to make a decision. If you walk on the cross, you're saying you despise the cross and we'll let you live. But if you choose to walk around the cross, you're saying you're, you're keeping your allegiance to Jesus Christ. And because of that decision, you will be killed. And so the first eight students decided to walk, around, walk on the cross and they were able to live. The ninth student was a young girl. And she bowed her head just in front of the door. And she asked the Lord for grace to do what she knew was the right thing to do. And she chose to walk around the cross. And because of that, her life was taken. But the interesting thing is, every student behind her followed her example. They walked around the cross and they paid for it with their lives. Today in China, we know that Christians are regularly being beaten, tortured, even killed because of their love for Christ. Erwin Lutzer, uh, you know, he's retired now as a pastor for Moody Church in Chicago, and a, an author, a Christian author. He writes this, There was a time in America not so long ago when Christians didn't have to take sides in the so-called culture wars swirling around us. We could live in what someone called the mushy middle. Do you remember the mushy middle? Huh? Anybody? Yeah, the mushy middle. Um, I kind of grew up in that era, you know, when Judeo-Christian values were, they were known and many people lived by them even though maybe they didn't have a relationship with Christ because they had been embedded in the populace of this nation because that's how our country was founded. The mushy middle. Well, he says we could live in some what someone called the mushy middle, keeping our views to ourselves. But when we did speak our mind, it was assumed that we had a right to do so. We could say what we believed about a particular matter and move on. No longer. And today's climate tolerance no longer means a willingness to put up with different points of view. Rather, tolerance now means joining the revolution, getting on board with the right side of history. 
Be warned, he shoots a flare. America is no longer the country some of us remember it to be. A cultural tsunami has arrived and there is no safe ground. Friend, we need to know, you need to know, I need to know that there is no safe ground. Because as Americans and as followers of Christ in America, we tend to lean towards comfort. We want it comfortable. We want our spiritual rocking chair. We don't want any dust in the air. We don't want any conflict. And so we try to keep it peaceful and safe. Lutzer says there is no safe ground. In fact, um, just last week, there was an article entitled Attacks Against Churches Doubled in 2023. Where did you think that was going? That's in the United States of America. There is a growing disdain for Christianity. Anti-Christian hatred is accelerating in the United States according to the Christian nonprofit that has tracked violence against U.S. churches since 2018. The Washington, D.C.-based Family Research Council released its annual hostility against churches report last week, finding that there were 436 hostile incidents against churches in 2023. This is more than double the number tracked in 2022. And more than eight times as many as the group found in 2018. So Americans appear increasingly comfortable lashing out against church buildings, pointing to a larger societal problem of marginalizing core Christian beliefs, including those that touch on a hot-button political issues related to human dignity and sexuality. Attacks on churches of worship may also signal a discomfort with religion in general, the report continues. So... <clears throat> As a follower of Christ in 2024, we can put our head in the sand and say, I'm waiting for Jesus to come, not be engaged in our culture, nor the people that God has planted around you to influence because you want to stay safe. But Joshua writes in Joshua 24:14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That means with an open hand. Lord, take my life, have it all. Serve the Lord alone, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. And Joshua makes this declaration, I don't care what you're doing, but this is what I'm going to do. I've decided, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That kind of commitment, friend, is what is necessary, I think, to thrive in our culture today. To put that on the front of our, of, our, of our lives. As for me, as for me and my home, my family, we will serve the Lord. Right? And be committed to it. So, I want to encourage all of us this morning, not to put our head in the sand, but I, I think it's imperative that we keep an open ear to what's going on around us, not only in our country, but around the world. Debbie and I have had the privilege the last <clears throat> couple months of meeting people from Europe and Canada. And without even bringing it up, 
one of the first things they say is that their country is in severe danger. It's collapsing. So it's not just, hey, this, this kind of attitude of anti-God uh, growing in America, it seems to be hap- happening all around our, our world. And so what does that mean? That means, friends, that there is coming a global government headed by the Antichrist. That's that's prophesied in the Bible. It's going to happen. And so to put our, again, to put our head in the sand and say, I don't want to hear stuff like that. Something that's becoming real to me is it's easy to talk about the love of God, and I, I love to do that. But when you read the Bible, you find out that Jesus came as a baby the first time. He ascended as a man after dying for our sins, but he's coming back again. And he's coming as a warrior. And he's coming as a judge. And there needs, I think, the body of Christ in America, we, we camp out on the love of God, but I also think we need to have a reverent fear of the Lord. That he is God and I am not. That he's in control and I am not. There is something about fearing the Lord, and I'm not talking about hiding in a corner because you think he's going to beat you up, which is what, how I thought he was growing up. That's not healthy. But a fear that he is holy. He is all-powerful. And one day, he will judge the world, the living and the dead. And so I honor him because of that. So, do we back up into a corner? Do we build compounds of safety, you know, to preserve our lives? E. Stanley Jones, a pastor and author, puts it this way. The first New Testament Christians didn't wring their hands in despair and say, look what the world has come to. Instead, with great delight, they declared, look what has come to the world. Jesus. Explanation point. Isn't that cool? Let's see that on the screen. I think we have that on the screen. No. Daniel's still up there. So, if you bow before God, and and I was thinking, man, this morning, I'm so grateful for the worship team being sensitive to the Spirit of God as well. But if you bow before God, you can stand before anyone friend. If you bow before God, you can stand before anyone. And that's where things are going today. So may we, as a body of Christ and as life church men, may we bow before God so we can stand before anyone. Yeah? Yeah, man. So be it. So be it. So let's go to Daniel chapter 3.
starting at verse 12. And some, you know, if you're here for the first time today, man, we hope you feel right at home and you've sensed God's presence. And, and because we're starting at chapter 3, you can go online and track the previous talks on Daniel to, to catch up. But this is where we're landing today. But there are some Jews, this, the um, astrologers on Nebuchadnezzar's team, uh, they figured they had the right and the authority to pick on people who didn't bow down. And so they, they, they come to the king and they said, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you, Nebuchadnezzar, have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They serve, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? You, you kind of pick up the arrogance there. Right? What God? There is no God that can do that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yelled, Who do you think you are, Nebuchadnezzar? No, that's not what it says here. That's not my paraphrase. Let's read it as it is. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That's when, when you know your identity, Christ, friends, you don't have to prove anything to anybody because you have been adopted into God's family. You are his son and daughter. You have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Jesus loves you passionately. Man, when you, when you recognize that, it doesn't matter what Facebook or social media has to say about you, right? You know who you are. Man, if God loves you, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Do you see the respect there? But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That's pretty strong, man. Huh? Is that strong? You're king. You're the most powerful ruler in the world, man. You're intimidating us. Poo! Doesn't matter. We have a God, the one true God, living inside us, man. That's where we're going to put our trust and faith. That's a good word, man. That's a good word. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word again. Man, every time we read your word, it explodes in front of us. It challenges us. It uh, encourages us, Lord. And we're so grateful for it. And, Lord, we know there are people here today and those watching online that maybe have carried a weight, a burden, it's wore them down. It's 
discouraged them. I pray today that the spirit of the living God would revitalize their core. And Lord, once again, we want to let you know just how much we need you and how grateful we are for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 2,600 years ago, as we go back in time, Nebuchadnezzar was the world leader, and, and during that time, he had already um, gone into Jerusalem and, and kidnapped uh, young men and transported them back to, to Babylon to brainwash them, to intimidate them, to, instead of living for the one true God, they would in turn be trained to serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods and the occult, by the way. The occult was running rampant throughout Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It was not a one-time dream. It was a recurring dream, and it, it, it haunted him because he didn't know what it meant. And God gave Daniel the answer to the dream that there's a statue there, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, you're, that head is, is you and Babylon. But there's, as you work your way down the statue, there's different governments that are going to be coming into rule. And by the way, there's a rock flying out of nowhere, and it destroys this statue, which bothered Nebuchadnezzar quite a bit. Sixteen years goes by after being told that your kingdom's going to come to an end. And 16 years goes by. You're 1, 5, 8, 13, 16. Still, Nebuchadnezzar is still ruling, and Babylon is still the number one power in the world. And so he thinks that was probably a misinterpretation of the dream. You know, I'm going to be here forever. And so he, he kind of reignites the pride within him. Because God had been working in his life to, to, to let him know that God is the one true God. But after 16 years, he kind of drifts back into this arrogance of, I'm the king of the world, all powerful. And so he builds a statue on the plain of Dura, 90 feet tall, and invites the world to come and bow down when the music starts. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a decision to make. Will we bow like everybody else, or will we remain standing? How deep were those core values embedded in them from being raised in Jerusalem to the time they were teenagers and then being hijacked out to this world? They had a decision to make. As you and I do, we are living on the plane of Dura every day in our culture today, by the way. We are feeling the pressure to bow down to our culture. And so in a world that's increasingly hostile to biblical events, it's important for us to keep a proper perspective. As we learn to live with the pressure, because we're not going anywhere. So we have to learn to live with the pressure but not compromise, not to bend, to stay true to the Lord. So number one, uh, my core is tested, verse 12. We read, we read that, some of the Jews. And these, uh, it's kind of comical when you drill down on this because the astrologers that, you know, they couldn't answer the king with what the dream meant, but 
Daniel and his three buddies here, they, they were able to interpret it. And so they were promoted, but these, these astrologers were you know, kind of pushed down. So they figured there's a day of revenge coming, and this was it. And so they, they kind of blew this thing up and, and went to the king. Um, and so that leads us to number two in my true blue, verses 13 through 15. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, <clears throat> and he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. But, you know, this is pretty serious, by the way. The, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are working for the king. They've been promoted. They have jobs by him. And it's really a charge of treason against them that they're not following the mandate that the king has set up. And so um, you take a look at the furnace again. Um, that's kind of what it looked like. It's not in use right now, but that's kind of a model of it. And upon getting that word, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused <clears throat> to bow down to this statue. And they're looking, that furnace is right by the statue, by the way, so it's either you bow down to this or you get thrown in there. What would you do? Nebuchadnezzar he basically tells these three men, is it true that you do not serve my gods? Is it true? Is it true that you won't worship the idol of gold that I've made? And then he looks the three in the eyes and says, I really like you guys. I don't want to have to throw you in the furnace, man. You've, been, you've done a great job working for me and for Babylon. You got a great work ethic. And he said, remember in chapter 1, I picked you out of all the captives in Jerusalem and I brought you to, to Babylon. And uh, up until now, you've done a great job. But because of that, I'm going to give you one more chance. And what are you going to do? <clears throat> Interesting, Daniel 2.47, uh, your God, he said, is the greatest of gods, the Lord of over, over kings. So there you have it. Nebuchadnezzar seems to have had some spiritual movement, a softening towards God. But after the 16 years goes by, he says in verse 15, 3, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What's he saying? He's basically putting himself on that I am God. Nobody can defeat my power. And so there you have it. What I like about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they had been taught the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 20, the second commandment was embedded in them. They were taught, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, not somebody else's God, but your God. I tell you, man, when you take ownership, and you put your faith in God, he's your God, right? I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And that resonated with these three men. Even after all the years passing, after all the opportunities, you know, they were promoted, life was good. They could keep those jobs if they just bowed down. 
Yeah. But friends, we need to learn to stand alone. Um, I, so for me, growing up in the church, I, nobody talked to me about stuff like that, you know, standing alone. And I remember in high school, um, <clears throat> I wanted to model Jesus well to, to my friends at school. But when I got around my Christian friends, I let my guard down. It was with my Christian friends that I compromised. Isn't that crazy? Yes or no? Yeah, that's crazy, man. And so I had, a, I had to learn that even with my Christian friends, man, that's where I need to keep my guard up. I need to stand alone no matter who I'm with. Do you realize that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were transported to Babylon? Were they the only ones? No, there were 10,000 other Jews that had been hijacked to go to Babylon. And the question I want to submit this morning is, out of 10,000 Jews in Babylon, on the plain of Dura, why is it that there's only three standing? What's happened to the other 10,000? And we give Daniel a pass because Daniel's not here. He's, Babylon was a world empire, and so he was on the road somewhere. But if Daniel was part of this group on the plain of Dura, he would have stood along with these three dudes as well. Do you see that? What happened to the other 10,000? They had been compromised. They wanted to stay alive. They, they, they talked to each other and said, you know what? We're going to stand in our hearts, but physically we're going to bow down. You know? That's pretty easy. We stand in our hearts. But physically we're going to bow down because we don't want to die. We have families, man. We, we, gotta, we want to stay alive. A.W. Tozer put it this way, to be right with God often means to be in trouble with man. Have you noticed that? Yes or no? Yeah, it's, it's true. To, <clears throat> to be right with God. And so even as we sang this morning, you know, take my life, take, take my future, that's, that's a decision we make because by being right with God, that means that we'll be in trouble with man. Could be. So God was testing them, and uh, they stayed true. They stayed true to the Lord. Easy to, um, that question that Nebuchadnezzar submits to these three men, is it true? Is it true that you're, you're not bowing down? If you were brought before a judge and a jury today and they asked you, is it true that you're a follower of Christ, what would you say? What would be the evidence against you to prove that you are a follower of Christ? That's pretty much what was going on here. Is it true? Is it true? Because our convictions, you know, is it something we just profess but we don't live it out? Do our, do our words and our actions line up? 
Is there proof that we would be convicted as a follower of Christ? That's what was going on here. Is it true? And we see, hey, my conviction, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's able. What I like when they're confronted by the king here, they didn't say, King Nebuchadnezzar, could we have a day to discuss this with each other to see how we're going to respond? No, they didn't need to wait. Their response is immediate. It's immediate. Why? Because their core value, they had already, they had already committed their lives to God no matter what. So there was, they didn't even have to think about it. That's why, <clears throat> honestly, the easiest way to live your life is to obey God. To walk in obedience. It's when we're in conflict with God that's, that it just adds a lot of stress and anxiety to you. But when we say, yes, Lord, and we walk in obedience, it's easy. What does the Bible say? This is what the Bible says? Good. I already know the answer. That's how I'm going to live my life, right? That's where these three men landed, man. Their core values were submitted. And nobody could talk them out of it. And they were willing to die for those values as well. And so, yeah, that was their conviction, B, my confidence, verse 17b, he will rescue us from your might, your power, your majesty. Now, they didn't, you know, they weren't all fired up giving each other high fives. We get to go in the furnace, man. <gasps> oh, boy. No, that's not, where they, that's not where they were. But they knew by going into the furnace, their lives were in God's hands. And we see, see, my resolve, it says, but even if he doesn't, you see? What I like about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not super Christians. We tend to make them out as superheroes because of their courage. No, they were just like you and me, normal human beings that had to make decisions. And they were dealing with, you know, our God can, he will, but if he chooses not to, <laughs> we're still not bowing down because Exodus 20 says not to. You see it? Even if he doesn't. My resolve, even if he doesn't, they leave the results to God. Friend, and that's a great place to land today. We don't know the future. <clears throat> By the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have a, a manual that they kept in their back pocket as an example of George going into the furnace and Jesus showing up. Remember George when he was in the furnace? 150 years ago, we have it right here. No, it never happened before. The other interesting thing is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never asked God to deliver them. And we're so good at that. Lord, get me out of this mess. Ooh, if, I, if you do, if you do, then I will do this for you. We negotiate with God. We're so good at that. You know? No, they didn't, they didn't. God was not a God of performance for them. 
All they knew is they loved God, they knew God loved them, and they trusted their lives in his hands. That's why they had that resolve to say, God can and he will, but even if he doesn't, even if we get thrown into your furnace, man, and we get burned up, we're going to heaven. It's a great place to go. So their resolve, I can tell you that I can identify with people that bargain with God where they think God's going to do this, this, and this on this timeline and my life, it's going to be cool. But there was a time in my life when God didn't do this, this, and this on my timeline and I became disappointed and and discouraged in my relationship with God, and I felt sorry for myself, and I blamed God. God, where are you? You forgot about me. That's just because I was immature. I was was immature, man. Because now, as you follow Jesus down the road over the years, like Bartimaeus, your faith grows and it matures. And you grow out of that baby stage where God is a God of performance. Instead, he's a God who is controlling the universe. And I happen to be one of those people that he holds in his hands. Isn't that cool? I can trust him. I can trust him. And so their resolve, their resolve, um, even if he doesn't, shows that their faith, even living in Babylon, thrived. It thrived. Your faith, my faith can thrive. And they could stand boldly with godly courage. In 1 Peter 1.4, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Aren't you glad for that? We have that priceless inheritance, 1 Peter 1.4, man. And so we are grateful. We are grateful for that. Keep in mind, friends, if God is able, he has the power, but if he chooses not to, it's going to get you, um, you're going to feel the heat, right? There's going to be problems, and refusal to conform to the culture can involve trouble and loss. 1 Peter 4, 12, and 13, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. <laughs> be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. We have that inheritance. And so... Number three, my loyalty is under fire. My loyalty is under fire. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. In other words, he dialed it up all the way. It was, you know, when you redline a nuclear power plant, You power it up all the way. That's kind of what was going on here. 
Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Let's see what that looks like. That's an artist's rendering, by the way. No color film available back in those days. But <clears throat> think about it. They were tied. They couldn't walk in. That furnace blew up the strongest men in the army because it was so hot. Imagine getting thrown in to this furnace. What would you be thinking? God, where are you? Or God, here I come. Right? Here I come. Take my life. I'm coming home. We're feeling the pressure, but Jesus has us in his hands because our loyalty to him, we know it's under fire, but we're going to finish strong by the grace of God. Father, thank you this morning for your great work and modeling to us how these three men 2,600 years ago, under the threat of being exterminated, had the courage and the fortitude to follow your word. What does your word say? That is how I guide my life. And today, Lord, we are grateful. As we see this world that we thought would always be here, it seems to be breaking apart, which makes heaven look so much more appealing. Heaven. May we keep in mind, Lord, that that is our home and this is not. And that when we feel the pressure, may we have those core values established and in place to follow you and not compromise under the pressure. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that well. And so, Lord, thank you for their model. Help us to model you well. In Jesus' name, amen.